to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking. And I am your host, Philip Anthony, and I'm so happy you've chosen to join us today, and I hope you're all doing fantabulous. And uh, Mike, you've never heard the show before, and that's my not. word. Uh, it means fantastic and fabulous, put together twice as nice. I, I think that just is much more concise. <laughs> exactly, and it saves time. It does. Yeah, and so my special guest today, very special guest today, I have to use that moniker, is producer-director of the dem- documentary How Love Won, The Fight for Marriage Equality, Mike McEntee. Mike was also founder of The Uptake and currently serves on its board and was executive director of Egan Television. And lastly, he was the host of the AM950 show, The Mike Maggotty Show. I'm sure people out there remember you from that show. They, they might remember the voice. Yeah. I was, I've always been told I have a nice voice for radio, but that's all. You know, it's just, just the voice, and the rest of it is... You have an amazing voice for radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's anyway. It's better than the, the amazing face for radio, so... Well, my show is a lot of fun, so we're here just to have a good time and, and, and to talk about this wonderful movie that's going to be re-released on June... June 7th, 7 p.m., uh, over at the uh, main theater, which used to be St. Anthony, Maine, and it's, of course, uh, to mark the 10th anniversary of the marriage equality law and the first marriages, which will be... Uh, I think that's August first. I got to remember. Um, it's all kind I of. I believe you're right. All, all kind of mushing in the brain, but uh, this, yeah, it's a chronicle of everything that happened, and we're going to have a great discussion panel afterwards with uh, some some uh, names people will probably recognize. So. Oh, okay. Well, I wish I can. I have to look at my schedule because I have like a, a, this weird schedule coming up, and, and uh, I would, you know, is it is it open for you know? A- anybody can buy tickets. You can buy them online. Uh, they're they're ten dollars in advance, six bucks for um, uh, film society members. So it's a kind of their standard price, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's eighty-two minutes of, uh, of, of if you were part of this movement, if you remember anything about it, it brings back the feels, is what I've been told. It because uh, you know I've, I've looked at this so much, it's it's uh, I have it memorized. But uh, people laugh, they applaud, they cheer, they cry in a good way, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a good it's a good time because even though if you know how we know where it ends, it's how we got there that counts and what we learned. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, finally, what's the website where they can go to get the tickets? Um, let's see. You can. Uh, it's mspfilm.org, or you could try howloveone.com, and that will get you over there. So, same okay. thing. We'll repeat that again at the end of the sure. show, in case uh, viewers don't have a pen handy at this point. Right. <laughs> okay. So, before we talk about your career, I'd like to ask all my guests about their beginnings. Um, so, would you tell us where you were born, raised, went to school, and any... Sure. Bits you want to add to that? I, I could do the. Uh, who was the guy from uh, Mary Tyler Moore? He'd always go. Started on a thirty watt radio station. Didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is kind of like that. Um, I went to. I was born in Minneapolis. Uh, parents moved around, but I ended up uh, coming back here and went to the University of Minnesota. And there is where I found my love of radio at uh, the student radio station WMMR, which these days has merged and is now known as. Uh, Good grief. Radio K. So Radio K, uh, my beginnings were there. And I worked in news and and eventually became the general manager of the station. And, uh, you know, left as we were trying to get it on cable. That was where things were back then. AM AM, uh, 7, 
1973 was a carrier current station, which means that literally it had hum in the background because it was on the carrier current of all of the uh, um, all the electrical wires at the different dorms. But it was a great time and a great place. And I met my partner Lori there. We are still together after all these years. Wow! And I get I met some won- some wonderful people there. And I said, "This is a good business to be in. If this is the <laughs> kind of people that are in this business, this is a business to be in." Uh, the problem was that radio. Radio doesn't pay a lot of money. So, <laughs> so I ended up, um, a friend of mine had uh, said, hey, you can get a job at WCCO-TV working in dispatch. Would you, this is where we used to send you know, the, car, the, uh, the photographers out to chase the fires and the, the crashes and that kind of stuff or keep track of the, the crews. And you'd sit there and write down stuff and listen to radios. And that's what I was doing at WCCO-TV. And that's how I got my foot in the door at television. Ended up writing there. Ended up uh, getting producer jobs uh, across the country. You kind of have to work your way up through the market system. And came back here to work for Hubbard Broadcasting, the people that own KSTP. And ended up uh, heading up their satellite division and producing a 24-hour news channel on DirecTV called All News Channel. Stan Turner was one of our anchors. For those of you who remember Stan, he's a wonderful man. Uh, does Still does radio, I think. And uh, we did that until um, the, there was a big crash in, in the economy and uh, the Hubbards had to get out of the business. And then I moved into independent media and started producing podcasts, produced one of the very first podcasts in, uh, uh, in the iTunes store called uh, Inside Minnesota Politics and uh, did a lot of independent media, uh, got involved with a group of uh, people who wanted to do something because... The 2008 Republican convention was coming to St. Paul, and they, and they found some money, said, we can do some media around this. And I said, okay, why don't we do something more than just the, this? Let's do something, you know, and it, it, can we, what can we create? So we created an organization called The Uptake, and The Uptake was uh, the first iteration of citizen journalism. When citizen journalism wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a bad thing because these days people think it's just full of opinions, but it was really, can, what can we do to give people the power to cover things and do it in a structure that, you know, there was some, some editorial control, that there were some rules, you know, so much of what you see on Facebook these days is just, there are no rules. You can, you can make stuff up and mm-hmm. it, it goes out there. But this was reporting. We covered the convention. We covered a lot of politics in Minnesota over the years. We got into the state capitol. Uh, we had a fight to actually be there with the media, but we, we won the right to have a an office at the state capitol. It was hard to get a press pass probably oh, too, right? Well, yeah, that was part of it. You had you you had to be you had to have a credential. And there's there's a good and bad side to that because good side is you don't have everybody and you know who wants to just get their opinion out there be a in the press core but you know there are there is uh, uh the, the corporate media uh really doesn't like to have a lot of competition and so we were looked at uh, with some curiosity and some disdain and there was you know orchestration to prevent us from you know being there we overcame that uh, amazingly as soon as the governor dayton became governor uh suddenly it wasn't a problem anymore um and yeah, we've been we've been live streaming out of the Capitol uh, for a decade or more, and covering what's going on there. 
Uh, and I've kind of transitioned out of running that, and uh, we have a, a new generation uh, taking over that, and it's very focused on, you know, equity uh, in covering those types of issues in uh, in state government, as well as, you know, teaching people, the next generation of people, to ethically cover the news in an independent fashion. Mm-hmm. So that was a long answer. Yeah, well, it's a great, <laughs> a very thorough answer. But how, uh, what was the connection, though, to AM 950? Because I oh, know I, you had the Mike McEntee show for I, a while there. I skipped that part, didn't I? Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's been a lot. There's a lot of stuff that goes into this, you know, when you get to my age. Um, because that's probably where most of my listeners know you. Right. The Mike McEntee show. Right. I, I appeared on AM 950 in a lot of different iterations. I think the first I was a fill-in host, uh, and then um, I think we started doing the uh, the quick on the uptake show. Uh, that was my first stint at uh, AM 950 of some length, and I actually did that from home most of the time because it, it, before people were doing that, it was just I was I was working, I, you know, it's covering uh, a lot and editing a lot of stuff at home and couldn't make the drive out to Eden Prairie. So we d- did the, uh, the show uh, live from my basement and uh, it was, it was really focused on the news of the day. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with Matt, Matt McNeil. And so Matt, it was uh, uh, Matt McNeil and myself uh, most of the time uh, and on that show and uh, the Mike McEntee show, I, I think uh, I would follow Matt. And Matt, Matt is very focused on uh, ranting. And you know, Matt does a wonderful rant. I mean, you, he gets he gets you put a quarter in him. He can go for a half hour on one thing, <laughs> and he is so good on it. And he will call people out. And he has got such a great mind. I know it just it just comes out. It's it, like you know, there's never any dead air on that show at no, all. No, no, never. He, he is wonderful. <laughs> he is um, great. Yeah. And I was and I don't. I think that's that is one way to approach it. And I decided uh, we're going to do this on a we're going to. We're going to play back sound bites. We're going to listen to the news. We're going to get people's opinion. We're going to we're going to talk about a story. We're going to we're going to have some guardrails. I mean, we took we took calls from people, but when people would call in and start, you know, ticking off stuff that I knew wasn't true, and this is back before you know Trump was president and the media started having to say that somebody was lying. I'd say I'm sorry. That is uh, that's something I, I couldn't say on the air, but that that is not true, and this conversation is over. You know, we uh-huh. are, you know, there are... We, so you, you, you were getting a lot of fake news being spread on your show and you had to end, you had to nip it in the bud. Before, yeah, we, you know? we just basically said, yeah, you know, and that is, that is one of the hardest things to do. And I, I've noticed some media people have gotten really good at that, like Steve Inskeep. If, do, you, do you listen to Steve Inskeep at all? He's, he's on public radio. So he's, uh, he does uh, afternoon, uh, all things considered, on public radio. Oh, yes. Okay. Steve mm-hmm. is really good at, or does he, I think he does morning edition, sorry. But Steve is really good at holding people back because, you know, when, when a politician starts talking, they are very much focused on their talking points. And it is, it's one of the things they do with training with, uh, with politicians. Uh, they say, don't answer the question you've been asked. Answer the question that you wanted to be asked. You know, and so go into that topic. And he'd say, and Steve would say, yeah, okay, but let's go back to that. You haven't answered this question. Okay. And that's, that's what I tried to do, too. Did you have a call screener? Excuse me for interrupting. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we, we, we uh, Brett, we know oh, Brett. Oh, it was Brett. It was Brett. Oh, okay, God. so Brett. Okay. And basically, you know, we, he didn't, he did not send the calls through. You know, he just, 
he would give me an idea who was on the line and what it was. You know, we didn't, there were very few people, there were, I think, there might have been a blacklist, I can't remember, of people, but uh, it, it, I think all calls got through, basically, whether you're Republican, Democrat, uh, socialist, communist, whatever, what do you want to call it? Wow. You know, and, you know, we, we would take the calls on things, but it was, you just had, you had to state a topic, you had to, you had to talk about the truth, you couldn't, couldn't go into talking points that were, you know, I know the, the Republicans would have a certain view of things, and we'd listen to that. But if uh, you wanted to talk about how Donald, uh, we weren't, I was, yeah, if you wanted to talk about how Donald Trump uh, won the 2020 election, I wasn't on the air at that point, but if, uh, if that was the case, it would have been, no, we're not going to talk about that because that's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, that, is, that is an absolute, we, we've proven that that's not, a, that's not the thing. So sticking to the facts, and I think the media over the last, uh, ex- Trump exposed the media to having to call that out. But that's something that we were doing on a local basis with a lot of other local issues and national issues way before then. But the other, the media before then, it was, well, you say this, we say, somebody else says this, let's, you can decide what's right, you know? I'm sure, I'm sure the truth is in there someplace. And we said, no, our job is to figure out what is the truth. You know, we're we're not going to go on the air and say, "Well, she said this, he said this," and you know. Um, Do you? Uh, this this is kind of puts me in a in a in a space where I don't. Um, like I said, I was not. This is a new experience for me doing these podcasts. But mm-hmm. um, I rem- remember as a young person <laughs> in the eighties and nineties when the fairness doctrine was in existence. You would always have like I remember there was a show, and it's probably called Point Counterpoint or sure something. It was to prob- that I think it was on PBS. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You would have a right wing person and a left wing person, and they would debate. Right. And it was beautiful because you know what? You got two sides of the story. Everything was fine. Nobody hated each other. It was very civil. Um, there was also the the, the um, there was another forum show with um, what was his name um, not McDougal he had a name like I, I can't, it doesn't ring a bell mm-hmm. right now but he had another show where he would have one side of the room was McNeil Lair you thinking of that or no okay uh, maybe it'll maybe it'll come and appear in my brain in a few minutes but anyway he had half the you know. Um, he had Eleanor uh, something on the show. Do you remember? Uh, she was a lefty. And then there was um, another guy that was very righty, and then they would you know, talk about uh, back and forth. But the show was very educational, mm-hmm. I thought, because you got both sides. Now it's just like you have one dimension on one, one station and one dimension on another station, and both are calling each other fake news. And what do you think of that? Well, you, you got a couple things going there. You got first the... Um, equivalency thing that a lot of people get hung up on, which is, well, if uh, this side is saying things are bad and this side is saying things are bad, then they're both bad. Both sides are bad. You know, as as journalists, as, as a journalist, it's really our job to dig in and find out what is right and what is wrong. And yes, you do report with the other the other side or you know both sides. And I would say, many stories, it's more than two sides. There are there are multiple points of view and. I think as a society, um, we start looking at uh, groups that are typically not represented in the media. Those, you know, those viewpoints need to be part of the the discussion. It, it, it's it's uh, so so many times, 
it, you know, I'm, I'm jumping off on a lot of points here, but so much of um, what drives the media that we get is how much money can I make? And how much money can I make is dependent upon how many eyeballs or ears I can have listening to what I'm doing. And this is the this is a trap that Fox News has fallen into, yeah. as we saw through the documents. You know, they knew they were lying, but if they didn't, they would lose their audience and they'd lose their money. You know, so that drove them to do unethical things. And this is one of the things I argue that we have a problem with the media in general is that what drives this is not trying to get you the best coverage of the news. What drives this is trying to get you to watch what they're doing and hopefully you buy the products that they're being advertised in between. Um, I'm sorry, I got on this rant. I said I don't do rants, but that's, that, that is a rant I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, I went on a rant too because I, I was thinking about this show and it's killing me. I can't remember the name of it, but I thought that was a great show because mm -hmm. it was on on a Sunday. They had a panel. They talked about every issue. And, and I remember the guy at the end of the show, he'd go, bye-bye, mm -hmm. like, like, like that. You know, he had a very strange voice. But... Um, I'll, um, but I'll, you mentioned the fairness doctrine, and yes. and Reagan got rid of the fairness doctrine, and that is what has led to unraveling a lot of things. Because when somebody came on the air and would make a claim and talk about something, the broadcaster knew that they would have to give equal time to the other side. That's not the case anymore. Fox News, MSNBC can can opinionate, rant, do whatever they want to for as long as they want to, and they don't have to worry about uh, the other side having time to come back and say mm -hmm. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when that happened, that made the business case for let's just focus on one thing, getting one, one side out, one, getting what our audience likes out, and to heck with everybody, everything else. Right. So you're, basically, you're, you're, you're only watching the news that you feel you want to hear, not what what's really going on. Right. And anyway, I remember the name of the show. Okay. It's the McLaughlin the Group. The McLaughlin Group, yes. Yes, and it got parodied famously because... Oh it, my God, was that a great show. It was It was a good show. It was. Why don't they have shows like that anymore? Um, they, You know what? You can probably find somebody who's some, doing something like that, but it, it's... I don't know why they don't. Have I said it. McDougal, which is funny because <laughs> I, lived, I, I lived near the village in Mc, on McDougal Street, so maybe that's what. I, I had a lawyer up. who worked for at KSDP whose name was, I think, John McDougal, or he was one of the broadcasters. Anyway, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, McLaughlin Group is a great show. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about the uptake a little bit. Sure. Um, uh, what public service does it serve, and what is it about? What's the essence of it? I guess. Well, where we started was let's give people the power to report. And uh, and cover the news, and that was before Facebook, before Twitter, and all these things. And you know, video we felt was the most truthful way of reporting because it would, at least at that point, you couldn't fake it. You know, if it was on video, it, so that's where we focused was trying to do video news that uh, focused on on either giving a different view to things that on a national or local issue that was pretty prominent that maybe was being underreported or covering issues that just weren't being reported. And, you know, because, you know, John Smith, uh, Joey or whatever, or Sue thought that this was an important issue and wanted to do a story. And we wanted them to do more than an opinion piece on it. We wanted them to, you know, do the, you know, okay, let's check your facts. Let's make sure that we've talked to the other side. Let's, let's make sure that, you know, we're right on what we're reporting here and then go with it. Mm -hmm. And so it was putting, putting it into that journalism construct. Um, and, and, and 
excuse me. Go ahead. But was it a show that was on YouTube or no. streaming or it was, where, it where was, would you see it? <laughs> it was a website. It was a oh, website. Okay. And okay. Uh, in fact, we, we eventually started putting everything on YouTube, but it was, uh, it had, a, it, we were using a service called Blip. Uh, to put our clips out, which is long gone. Uh, we were using a service which no longer exists. Uh, not, well, it's been folded into live stream to do our live streaming um, to, to carry these events. So, and, and that's what we started. TV was just, you know, there wasn't live coverage of stuff. You know, like uh, we would take our cameras to, you know, the, the Congressional District 2 convention and stream everything that was going on. And that was radical at the time because a television station wouldn't do that. So you were a man on the street no, interview we, kind of person. No, right? we, we took our cameras and we would, you know, okay, here's the Congressional District 2 where we're going to endorse the oh, candidate. You were, who's, in the, you were in the chamber itself, we, I guess. Yeah, this, well, you I mean, this would be the political party. So the Republicans or the Democrats would be having their, their convention to decide what candidate they want to endorse and you know, all those issues and the planks. And admittedly, that's a small audience that's interested in that stuff. But we said, let's focus on that. So we focused on, uh, I think the first thing, you know, we would focus on those big political conventions that uh, the television stations would give, you know, 90 seconds of coverage to at, at night. We would do the entire thing, you know, four or five hours uh, and broadcast it and cover the issues and talk to people and show, the, show exactly what happened. And a lot of that stuff, you know, people would say stuff in convention speeches that would get them in trouble, you know, or it could be used. And a lot of the stuff that people said you, you you know they would try to bury later because you it, when you run when you run for a, an endorsement you run for the uh, uh, you're, you're trying to get the base to support you so you say a lot of stuff and then after the convention you try to move towards the middle okay that's generally what politi right. politicians try to do well some of the stuff that people would say was so outrageous to get the you know either the right or the left uh, wing of the party to support them they really would like to forget about but we had all that and it was it was documented it was covered it was transcribed um but now can't you see um what's happening in the house and in senate minnesota house yeah, is that it, on it, tv now um yeah that's it's two it's two separate things it's the it's the political campaign that's what i was talking about there and we did that but we also moved to the minnesota house and senate and started covering there and the you know the House and Senate would stream some of their stuff, on or it actually wouldn't even stream. It was just be it would be on channel two, uh, you know, public television, and either, either be live or parts of it played back. But it was very selective about what. So was, who determined what was cut out? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> somebody make sense was some, to me. Somebody was so we said you know what we don't have a channel we can stream. All of this, we can stream the entire house. We can stream the entire Senate. We can put up multiple streams. So we built a, we, we got an office in the state capitol. We put in a, a, a an equipment. Uh, we got a, a good internet connection, and we were streaming out five, six things at the same time. And the House and Senate was going, how are they doing that? Well, you, first off, they're feeding us the video internally. We're plugged into all that stuff, but we were able to put that out so every you got a chance to watch everything. Or at least most everything. There were certain places in the House and in the Senate and the Capitol that um, typically meetings would be held because they knew that, well, the cameras weren't working or it was, you know, there weren't cameras installed. And so we'd show up with our own cameras and stream <laughs> it. And that 
you know, I'm sure we won some friends and, and alienated some others I for doing it. I can imagine. But we just wanted to make sure that there was transparency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now we're going to move on to um, the wonderful documentary that's 10 years old this coming... Uh, well, the events are off, 10 years old. The events, but not the movie. The right? movie came out in 2016. It took, it took a couple of years to do the post-interviews and, and oh, do all okay. the editing. I didn't know that. Okay. So um, the movie's called How Love Won, The Fight for Marriage Equality. And what motiv- motivated you to get this project off the ground, basically? I saw a really great story. You know, I was looking at this, you know, I came at this from a, you know, I, we were in politics. I said, this is a great political story. This is always a, also a great human story. It's, it's structured in three acts, you know. Uh, uh, so if you're, you're and, it, and the, you know, the good guys win at the end. <laughs> I said, this is, this is beautiful. Now, of course, that's knowing how things turn out. And that tells you, we decided to do this pretty much after everything had transpired. Oh, so you, you, it wasn't that you didn't know what was going to happen. You already knew. Well, we basically. knew. We knew. We had, we had covered it as news. So we had certain bits and pieces and all that kind of stuff. But okay. it wasn't like a typical documentary where you embed a camera with, uh, you know, people and you follow them, you know, for months or years or whatever like this. This was, okay, we can see the uh, marriage equality law is going to pass. We've got uh, a lot of stuff that we've done here. We've got, we can follow this here through the end. And let's see if we can, we, I'd never done a movie. Okay. I have never, you would never know that. I have never done a movie. <laughs> And, and much and people usually cut their teeth on documentaries by doing short documentaries. This was a this is a full length one. This is eighty two minutes, you know, like the length of a you know a Marvel movie or something oh, like that. Oh, okay. Well, Marvel movies are now like four hours these days, aren't they? But uh, <laughs> probably, but, but more like a, fe- a feature length movie. And we didn't, you know, we knew that this was a, a feel good story, and we had to raise money. So we, uh, a friend of mine, had done a documentary about uh, the uprising in Wisconsin. Um, called Wisconsin Rising. And if you remember, this is about 2012, 2010, somewhere in there, where uh, Scott Walker, the governor, had decided that he was going to change the laws so that, you know, just to screw over the teachers' unions and the unions so that they couldn't organize and do things. And people came to the Capitol and protested for weeks. And I remember that. Yeah. I, hired, uh, I hired my friend. Uh, she wasn't my friend at, my t- at the time, but I hired her to come in and the uptake went there and live streamed that for weeks too. And she stayed and covered it and turned it into a documentary. And I, I said, how did you do this? And she said, well, there's this thing, this new thing called Kickstarter. I said, Kickstarter. He said, yeah, you can, you can ask people for money and they'll pledge it and you use it to fundraise to put your thing together. I said, okay, that sounds like we have a base over here that'd be interested in doing that. So we did a Kickstarter and we raised, um, I can't remember twenty, thirty thousand dollars and twenty-five, I think, and we oh, had wow. the uh, uh, we got a matching grant then from the TV film board to do it, um, and even at fifty thousand dollars, that's a shoestring to produce a documentary, especially a full-length documentary on. So it was a lot of people donating services, and you know, uh, Will Hammeyer over at uh, Blue Moon, uh, his folks did some work, but they did it at rock bottom rates to shoot and edit our interviews and uh, we had people donating studio space and we pulled this thing together and you know it 
it, it got people so excited, it won the uh, uh, Audience Choice Award at uh, the 2016 Minneapolis-St. Paul International Film Festival. And we took it around the country for people to see. But, you know, a film like that only has a certain uh, lifetime. Uh, and uh, it, it was we had it in circulation for about a year and then got on some independent services. And it's it people, it's really hard to find right now. So that's why we're really happy that uh, the Minneapolis-St. Paul Film Society is bringing that back uh, for people to, A, look at again, enjoy the feels, uh, remember the story, remember the lessons, and then have a good discussion about where, why did we, how did that, why did that work, what's been happening since then, and what is, what the, is going on with these attacks on trans people and, you know, pushing back, you know, uh, and what do we do about that? Yeah, I just had a show about that, actually. I think it was my last or the one before that where we were talking about this. And we said, because I'm an older gay man, mm -hmm. I, I remember the, you know, we, I went through all the AIDS crisis and how don't go near him. He may have AIDS and he's going to give, you know, don't drink from the water fountain. He just drank from it, you know, that kind of thing, you know, or, or when my friends would usually have, you know, regular dishes on the table, all of a sudden the paper plates and plastic spoons and forks came out and, and I'm thinking, and then my friend was like, well, she's doing that because she doesn't want to get AIDS. Yeah. You know? So there was, I went through that. Right. And we were, obviously, the, uh, the next step is to demonize the, the, the gay community because now we're, we're not only are we, you know, uh, uh, you know not Christian, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're doing something against the, the, the laws of the Bible, but now we're spreading disease on top of it. So it was a really hard time. And I remember... Uh, a lot of people suffering and going through um, a lot of uh, mental anguish, losing friends. Uh, it was a bad time. And, and now fast forward to 2023 and our, our fellow trans people are, go, are, are taking our place. Mm -hmm. You see, they have to find somebody to other. And that's what's happening right now. You know, I mean, the quickest way to um, get people to unfortunately to do something is to have a common enemy yes and if you can cast somebody as your common enemy for some reason that they are doing something to you there is some sort of threat i mean it can be absolutely made up and bs mm -hmm. but that motivates us there's, there's a certain part of our brain that will react to that you know the the uh the old uh, lizard part of the brain reacts to that stuff, and yeah. what is that? The id? it's called the id, right? I I don't um, I'm not I'm not familiar I'm, enough, but it, yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm not familiar. <laughs> I think it's called the id. But but to, to piggyback on what you're saying, the um, human rights campaign, mm -hmm. uh, HRC, you know, joined yeah. joined the NAACP and issued a travel advisory to Florida now, and that's that that's meaningful because that's showing you know. Uh, Right. governor that you know you're, you're stepping over the line you know uh you're othering you're causing people a lot of mental anguish a lot of uh discrimination people are not going to be treating the lgbtq plus. Mm -hmm. i mean i i heard stories about you know going into target and people were pu uh, pulling the uh, lgbtq plus uh, uh, shirts and pants and paraphernalia off the shelves and causing a scene. This is this is getting bad. Yeah, you know? tar Target today, I think, uh, as we're we're speaking here, just decided that they were pulling a lot of that stuff off because it was too controversial or some of it. And you see? they're, they're yeah. still sorting it out. And 
it may not be all because it's just uh, LGBTQ stuff. There, there may be some other issues, but in any case, it, it's nuts. I mean, it is absolute nuts. And Florida, I think I was joking, I repeated an old joke here just before we got on the air. I said, you know, you want to try time travel, go go to florida you know this is you know it's it's yeah, the yeah, yeah. it's not just the uh, the the night it's not the it's the 1920s there you know it's the 1880s you know that's that's what's going on and um it it is uh it's unfathomable that uh considering the progress that we have made that people would be treated this way again and it just goes to show you can't you got to be vigilant you got to be vigilant and whether it is whether it is we're othering people or we're protecting a democracy because I feel like our democracy is under attack as well. That's a whole nother show, though. Mike. It, it is, but <laughs> I, I, they, they are connected in the sense Absolutely, that we yeah. need to be vigilant all the time. You need to show up and you need to vote. Oh, you need to pay attention. You know, if, if yeah. and you need to you need to get your friends out to vote. But that is what drives what we do. And if you don't do it, this is where we end up. You hear that, folks? Go vote. Mike McEntee's telling you to go vote. Um, to continue with the movie, though, mm-hmm. um, I could talk to you for, for days. You're amazing. I, I, I knew this was going to be a great interview. Um, what would you say was the psychological weapon LGBTQ activists employed to turn the seemingly unwinnable endeavor into the ultimate victory it turned into? Gay people are people. You know gay people, mm-hmm. you know, and the more you get to know people who are gay, lesbian, queer, whatever you want to say, the more you realize it's harder to hate them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you and w- what drives so much of what we just talked about is revved up hate. And if you relate to somebody as a person, it's very hard to say, I'm going to take your rights away. I'm, g- I'm going to treat you badly. I know you as a person. Why would I want to do that? That's what that was about. It was calling up people, having a conversation, not just once or twice, and not just for five minutes, but getting to know somebody and personally convincing them that, A, I'm a good person, B, I happen to be gay, and C, I'm being threatened, and you can help me, mm-hmm. you know, and please do that. And those com- that turnaround those conversations that is what we should that is the the key part of the movie is showing up about how that was done and that's why what happened happened is because a lot of activists decided we're going to turn the tide we're going to have those hard conversations and i think that's a lesson for just about any hard political or any social topic these days so we got to get together and talk it out. Mm-hmm. We can't be yelling at each other. Somebody once described to me, I think a columnist in the New York Times this last week described that the Republicans don't have talking points, they have yelling points. They get into a room and they become a very loud vocal minority and nobody else can talk. Mm-hmm. That's why I think personally why you know all these children are getting killed in school and all you have to do is say, you know, do something. Can you do something? We, we're the only country where this is just a a pandemic it's awful and they just you know they it's like they they turn you off mm-hmm. or they'll yell they'll see taking our constitutional rights you know away mm-hmm. from us so it, it's similar it Don't is you, and that's a whole other show isn't it that's another show that's another show yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> anyway minnesota big like i said 
You're great. I could talk to you for hours. Minnesota began issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples 10 years ago this coming August 1st. So it was August 1st. It was August 1st. Is it true that Minnesota was the first state to reject a constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage in, in November of 2013 by the vote of the citizens? It was a plebiscite, I believe, right. in Minnesota. Yeah, it was a constitutional amendment that uh, the Republican-controlled legislature had passed and that didn't need the governor's signature, so it went on the ballot. And this had happened in state after state after state. And mm -hmm. the tactical mistake that they made in Minnesota is they passed it way early. They could have waited till you know, the session before the election, but they, the, you know, Minnesota's United for all, for all Families had almost a year and a half or two years to organize and fight this. Uh, and that, that was a tactical mistake, and that's what opened it up to having this organization to, uh, to be able to, to actually make a difference instead of just, you know, Oh, I heard about this. It's uh, next week. I got to vote on. Oh, well, heck, you know, uh, my church tells me I should do this. Okay, fine. I have, you know, there wasn't that. There was a lot of time to get some information, mm -hmm. and I think that's what made the difference in this. I remember um, when it passed. I was um, I was just cleaning the house, and my husband was sitting on the couch watching TV, and they announced it. We mm -hmm. literally, the two of us, started to cry. It was that personal and that intimate for us now you're recognizing us you're calling us americans just like you and people don't realize how how um how that feels to a person when you incorporate them in the community rather than saying they're they're on the other they're the mm -hmm. other they're not part of us they're different they're mm -hmm. weird or whatever you want to use uh that's why the word queer was used back in the 60s and 70s, because if you look at the original definition, it means you're strange. Mm -hmm. But now the younger kids are using it as a, as a powerful word. Say, so I'm proud to be queer, you know? And so they, cha they change the word around, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have the power it used to have. So, yeah. Um, anyway, um, so moving along to... Um, uh, Mark Dayton signing the um, same-sex marriage bill on May 14, 2013. Uh, can you tell us some of your memories about that day? Since you, you know this movie had you know had to do mm -hmm. with marriage equality, and it passed, and everybody was happy, and then there is actual an actual governor signing it into law. There was a huge crowd at the Capitol. It was a it was a signing ceremony outside. It was hot. It was super hot. I mean, for early May, it was up in the 90s. And uh, I was up on the media platform because they gave the cameras a platform so you could get a good shot of the governor signing the bill. And there was a lot of us up there. Uh, and I'm up there with uh, our little camera for you know, the uptake. We didn't have these huge TV cameras. We had you know, little camcorders and stuff. And I was sweating bricks you know, <laughs> to get this. But we got, we got the video. We got the audio so we could use it in the movie. And I just remember then people celebrating, and it was people dancing in the streets. I remember tears, a lot of tears. A lot of tears, and it was tears of joy. Of joy. It was uh -huh. tears of joy, but also so many years of repression and so much, so much hurt just kind of melting away. Um, it was a joyful day. Yeah, and, and, and it's funny because it's, it's just saying you belong 
Exactly. It's a very simple concept. You know, you're in, you know, we all live in this state. We all live in this country. We all should be treated the same. I mean, I, I'm, I'm speaking like, you know, like to, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I don't understand how some people in the Republican Party feed off of that othering. I mean, I don't know what they're gaining from it, what it, how it benefits them, because it really doesn't. Um, I, I mean, I can tell you how it benefits them. Okay, uh, okay tell me. Okay, so <laughs> we know that uh, we know the Republican Party hardcore makes up less of the country than Democratic Party hardcore, mm -hmm. uh, and it and that demographically, that for a lot of different reasons, that can that is as long as it's the party of old white men, that is going to be a losing proposition. So just like you have to have things written into the Constitution to give small states a, an outsized say on things, the way you control politics is that you have a base that shows up and votes all the time because they are angry. And the only way you can do that is continue to stoke that anger. And you have to find something that gets them into that condition. And I'm sorry, if I'm angry all the time, eventually I get worn out. So... Um, but so that, you think the anger is bringing them to the polls? Absolutely. It is a, you know, it is a, a grievance. You know, I, I think that we've, we've seen, you know, let, let's talk about uh, the focus of this, which is uh, older white men. I think like us, yeah, like us, <laughs> but you know, uh, we, we live in a city. We're not rural. Um, right. You know, so older white men who have not done as well, economically feel that something has been taken away from them. And I guess it must be those other people that have come to the, that are part of the country they're taking away from and that the government is giving them something and they're not getting it. That is, that's, that is one line. Of, I mean, that's, that's how Reagan sold welfare uh, reform. Uh, and unfortunately Bill Clinton bought into it, uh, sending people to work fair for that kind of stuff. But it was, somebody's getting something for free and you're mm -hmm. not. So therefore you should be angry. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. not like they need something and we're helping them and eventually that's going to help you. It was just, no, somebody else and I'm not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, can you tell the listeners why it, it was so important that President Biden signed the Respect for Marriage Act in December of 2022? Because remember, um, Roe uh, was overturned. Right. And Obergefell can be overturned. So this law basically is solidifying it uh, as if a state wants it. Because I think if it, there's, there is a codicil in, in the law, I, I could be wrong, that if, a, if eventually it gets overturned, if a state still wants it, it cannot be overturned. Is that, is that yeah, the difference? I don't, I don't remember all the details, but I can sum it up in two words. Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas in uh, Roe v. Wade indicated that there were other precedents that they should overturn or look at overturning. And one of them was same-sex marriage. And uh, that is why uh, the federal government had to act and say, you know what, this is not a question for the courts. This is a question for Congress, and we are. This is how we've decided it. Mm -hmm. um, it's surprising that he's on the court with all this controversy surrounding him with his wife and the money that he's been taking in from these rich donors and 
I think I think one of his donors bought his mother a house or something. I yeah, mean, yeah. You, you, you can't make this stuff up. It's it's. But yet he's still there. Su- Supreme Court can't. ethics and how it's how the court has uh, has Awful. just fallen down. Hey, that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. abso- absolutely, that is that is another you know as another uh, one of the uh, things that are going on that is contributing to where we are. Yeah, yeah. So now we've come to the part of the show I like to call the shift. Okay. Make sure you, you say the F, because if you don't, we'll have a lot of problems. Shift. shift. Yes. There we go. Where I shift the questioning away from your career and to your opinions on current affairs. However, this is going to be a little bit different because okay. of LGBTQ Pride Month. All right. This shift will be a bit different because we are approaching Pride Month, and I'd like to talk exclusively about LGBTQ issues that are concerning to me as a gay man, mm-hmm. and I'm sure to you as an ally. Yes, as an okay. ally. And I, I think a week before we started the show, I explained, I'm, I'm not somebody who got involved in any movement or anything, but I've been somebody who's been documenting it and paying close attention and obviously have opinions. But, yeah. you know, that's... Yeah. But anyway, continue. continue. Yeah, and, and, you're, and you're just looking at everybody as a human being. I mean, that's just... It sounds really simple, but it, sometimes I guess it isn't, you know. But um, so I'm going to throw some things out to you and, you know, you can give me a brief re- response. Sure. Uh, a lesbian New York Times opinion columnist recently wrote in her column that she attended a conference in France. Mm-hmm. She was dressed in business attire and had a short cropped hairstyle. All right. You got okay. that picture? All right. Okay. So while she was there, she eventually needed to use the restroom. When someone screamed, there's a man in the bathroom, and a security guard uh, pounded on her stall in the bathroom, screaming, Monsieur, Monsieur, mm-hmm. meaning sir. Sir, sir. right. Because yeah, it's Paris. Uh, how horrifying can that be to this poor, poor lesbian, right? Um, it is continued harassment of LGBTQ plus Americans. Uh, is this continued harassment of LGBTQ plus Americans a way of simply humiliating us? Or is there something darker or more sinister in your opinion? What do you think about that? Because this is a, this is a person who belonged in that bathroom. Right. I, first off, I think we should get over... Uh, people being in bathrooms okay <laughs> yeah, what is this thing with bathrooms yeah that it, it just okay uh, are you afraid of going into the bathroom when somebody else is in there i don't understand but that all aside um you know what unless somebody does something sinister um you know i i i think what's underlying here is some stoked up fear that somebody has okay i think their question shouldn't be why were you in the bathroom with a short haircut to why are you concerned about who else is in the bathroom with a short haircut? Mm-hmm. And why, why, why should that make any difference to you? Are you, I mean, I, I will say this. Um, I know that women uh, can, you know, there, there's a power differential between women and men. And if uh, a male is, you know, obviously probably more strong than a, than a woman. And if you think that somebody might be doing something bad, that, that is, that is, there's a fear factor there, and maybe that is a legitimate fear factor. But yeah, what? But she was in the stall doing her business. I know what. What is going on here? <laughs> you know, I. Not every woman wears makeup and has long hair. Let's that, that put is, it that way. You know, I right? I don't get it. I I haven't heard about this, but I just I'm sorry, I don't get it. Yeah, it was a New York Times uh, thing. 
next, the next point I wanted to bring up is I asked this question on a previous show, but I'd like your opinion. Okay. Because you're Mike McEntee. <laughs> what is your opinion about a Houston lesbian bar being denied insurance coverage for hosting drag shows? Oh, this uh, this sounds like a, uh, a this is tied into the more the the Texas uh, we're we're going to control your life uh, attitude. I used to live in Texas. It's getting to be kind of like a fascist state if, it's, you, if they, you look it, at it that way. I think Texas logo our uh, slogan at one point was "It's a whole other country," and you know what? They're they're living up to it these days. Um, yeah. It, it, I'll go back to your first first question. What does it matter to you? These are adults. Yep. They are watching a show. I mean, we used to, as kids, watch Bugs Bunny dress up and drag, and we watched the coyote drop anvils on people. I didn't, I didn't grow up to be transgender, and I didn't drop anvils on people. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. It, it's, not, it's not that kind of thing that happens. That's not what's going on here, people. Yeah, yeah. What about Some Like It Hot, the movie? With yeah, the, when, when Tony uh, Curtis, yeah. Dressed up, and what was the other one? Um, and Jack Lemmon. Yeah. They dressed up in drag. Yeah. But the movie didn't make people drag queens back then, did no, it? No, no. So this is, again, going back to exactly <laughs> what we talked about. There is some fear that has been fed to people that underlies all of this. And the real real question we got to ask is, where's that fear coming from? Who's stoking that? Who's making these people feel that way? And what can we do to like just really make them chill out? Yeah, but I, I, I go deep into the weeds with this. Okay. Um, um, I kind of think that because they really don't have a platform or anything to stand any any you know any you know anything to run on mm -hmm. if you think about it because Donald Trump didn't have anything in his platform when he ran for president the second time or the first time I think but my point is you got to I guess you the the art of distraction is really work working. The othering is really working for them. It's you know? it's not othering. It's angering. It's still going back to what I was saying. I got to yeah. stoke up the base. Got to get them angry about something. I got to give them some fresh red meat to be upset about. And the fact that oh my gosh, we have people who wear who who wear women's clothes, who are men, who are are are, are parading around. There's something wrong with that, and you've got to do something. But it's entertainment, drag queens. It, it is. Has nothing to do. They don't consider themselves women. You know. I, I know. It's it's it, but. I'm telling you, that is how it is presented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a way of getting people angry. Hmm? You know, was there um, in Japan something called kabuki theater when the men used to dress up like women or something? I think the, I can't remember what kabuki. The the I remember kabuki theater. I think there's also a lot of people dressed in in dark, so you can't see them, so they can move the sets. That's all I remember. Oh, about all right. kabuki Well, there theater. was also pantomime back in the 40s and 50s where the men would dress up like women, and mm -hmm. and there were really no female actresses performing on the stage. So there, this has been going on for centuries. And the fact that all of a sudden it's a big issue is very, very concerning to it, me. It is, but it, is, it has become a big issue because, guess what? We, we made same-sex marriage okay. You can't pick on that anymore. We agreed on that. People look at polls. Overwhelmingly, people say, yeah, you know, people should get married if they, you know, if they love each other. Okay, we can't do that as a wedge issue anymore. Well, what's the next best thing we can do? Okay, mm -hmm. well, let's get people angry about this. I'm sure our base will be angry about it. About trans people. Now about trans the, people, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what are your thoughts about books with LGBTQ plus content being banned in a myriad of schools in red states? I mean, it's, again, I just point back to the same argument. This is a way of getting people cranked up. You know, my gosh, my, my, uh, my kids are going to read this. 
Yeah, but books to me. I mean, now you're now you're borderline fascist because didn't the didn't the Nazis do that? Banned books and burnt them and. Oh yeah, no, that that is exactly it. It's, you know, I can see as a parent, you do want to have some control over what your kids read. Okay, you do want to have, but you know, talk to them and say and and have those conversations about things. It's not just because you don't like a book doesn't mean that everybody else, else can't, can't read that exactly. book. Exactly. Okay. And, and, there, and there are parents, believe it or not, <laughs> that uh, validate their children's uh, uh, being queer or trans or gay, and they want them to read books that make them feel good about exactly. themselves. So you're, you're actually uh, stopping another parent from validating their own child's uh, 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 you know, a sexual orientation or tra- uh, transgenderism or whatever uh, situation they're in. Uh, there's actually queer is another term where mm-hmm. you're you're not you're you're non-binary and you don't consider yourself male, female, or transgender. So there's a lot of things that and we, you know, we don't have to understand it, but we have to validate them because these are people and they're human beings and they have every right to express themselves the way they want to be exp- expressing themselves. Exactly. Anyway, this is this just seems like common sense, right? We're like preaching to the choir to each other here. It's crazy. Um, so can you comment on the statement made by... Um, Governor Walls during the State of the State message. I'm going to quote it. Okay, because I I didn't get to watch it live, so go ahead. He said this, quote, they're banning books in their schools, and we're banning hunger in ours. Mm -hmm. We at Minnesota has passed one of the most, uh, I I think, um, world-class anti-poverty. I mean, it's not just hunger in the schools. It's not just feeding the kids in the schools, but it's also the child tax credit that was just part of the budget that was passed. It's going to allow us to eliminate poverty on uh, or diminish it on a level that has not been done before. Oh, yeah. And if you take a look at, I mean, what makes the biggest difference in what we can do for a kid? Yeah, give them something to eat so they don't feel, you know, Othered because you know you didn't have your family doesn't have the uh, buck thirty five or three dollars or whatever it is I don't buy a, a meal at a, a school anymore, but you don't have that money to pay for the school meal. I mean mm-hmm. that that's absolute you know shaming. Did you see the um, the press conference when he signed the bill, the hunger bill, uh, that uh, that children would get free lunch? They were literally crying, hugging him. We mm-hmm. love you, Governor. This is the, probably the some some of these children. This is their only meal of the day. You yeah, know? you know, and it's uh, their parents too. Yeah. Their parents oh, yeah. too are. And you know, I was, I was speaking uh, to uh, my partner Lori's uh, uh, sister, and she's going. You know, uh, my kid is going to be able to get free lunch here for the next two years that she's in in high school, and that's you know that's such a big burden off of me. You know, mm-hmm. and you think about who. Who are we really helping? You know, you get the Republicans playing. Oh, you didn't, you didn't uh, help Minnesotan families enough, or you, know, you didn't give us uh, tax rebates. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of other ways that the government helps that instead of tax rebates that people find much more effective, mm-hmm. and and this is one of them. And yeah, I, yeah. and it's and it, the thing is, it isn't just a one-time thing. This is ongoing. This is the way it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's why it's important. And Mike. This, this could be another show. Oh, exactly. There we go. <laughs> we could just keep... We've got a series that we've, <laughs> we've put to together. So. 
Um, here's another question for you. Chastin Buttigieg, you know who he is, right? Uh, Mayor but, Pete's husband. Okay, there you go. Thank you. I, I, the, uh, the last name was familiar, but the first name yeah, wasn't. He's the, the husband of the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. He wrote a book wherein he writes that he didn't always fit in growing up in a small conservative town and that he felt different from his father and his brothers who loved to go hunting and camping, et cetera, et cetera, you know, all, doing mm-hmm. all the manly, quote unquote, things. Right. I also felt different, and I was bullied incessantly by boys who thought of me as too sweet or girlish, because as a kid, I, I was picked on incessantly. I really was. I mean, I was not like other boys, mm-hmm. and I knew that. But I didn't know why, right? You know, because you don't know why. Yeah, you know, you know I didn't like camping as a kid either. So you know, <laughs> it, it's not just it's just, that's not not the only thing. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think our society can do to make our spaces safer for children and to be kinder for those growing up as LGBTQ? Because you know, uh, I think now it's it's getting a little better for them because there was no. Um, Gay straight alliances and in, mm-hmm. in my school growing up, if you were gay, you were pretty much attacked. You right. Know? Um, uh, so, what is your opinion about that? <laughs> Get rid of social media, please. I know we can't. Well, the bullying, yeah. We can't yeah. put the toothpaste back in the tube. But I remember growing up, and I was not, you know, I, I, I was not in the category you're talking about. But you know, I was, I was different in other ways, and you'd get teased. It, and I just think about how bad that felt, and how amplified that is when it's put on social media. Well, I think you and I would have been friends. You know why? Because I can remember in high school, um, mm-hmm. the gay kids hung out with the intellectual kids because the inte- the smarty kids, the very smart kids, the you know the poindexter with the glasses, um, because we were both we were both picked on. So right. we we figured if we all hang together, we had, we had common enemies. We so. had common enemies. So <laughs> you, know, you know, join or die. You know, yeah. and <laughs> it was interesting. I had a lot of really. The reason I think I was such a, a good student is because of uh, hanging out with kids that weren't, you know, smoking pot in the, in the bathroom or doing, the, you know, these horrible things. They were trying to get A's. Mm-hmm. I would get B's, but they were getting A's. But um, but it made me the, a better student, a better person. I grew up to be, you know, I didn't grow up to be this nut, you know, in the street smoking marijuana or taking drugs or hijacking cars or whatever they call it now carjacking right mm-hmm. carjacking yeah. Yeah. yeah you know so um i'll go back to my point though I, so, social media um we can't put the genie back in the bottle however the surgeon general here just came out with a warning saying we really need to do something about it and it's because of kids mm-hmm. and um i know that doesn't solve the underlying problem but it solves the amplification of the problem which is so we can turn this to a dull roar and start dealing with the real issues you know, so that kids can get some help. I mean, we have uh, a generation of uh, children complaining about some of the worst mental health problems that uh, we've seen ever because of, well, we had a pandemic, but we also have this constant reminding that your body isn't right or you're different or, you know, and it just, and, and this feeds back upon people. We need, as parents, parents need to have some control over that. But what could we do um, as a, as a, um, as a community or maybe government, you know, politically to stop cyberbullying because it is, like you said, a, a really bad problem that we're having in this in this country and Minnesota, too. Yeah, I, you know, bullies will always be, kids are always going to be bullies. There are certain kids that are just, you know, and it may be their parents, it may be their situation, it may be acting out, you know, that they feel like they need to do something. But 
that's that's going to exist. The question is, how do we deal with that? Um, you know, do we punish it? Do we try to reform it? I'm not a, an expert in any of this area. I really am not. But all I know is, we need to we need we need some time to dig into that. We need to get rid of the noise and the amplification. Before it was, you know, a kid could just beat up on me in the alley, you know, and it was one one kid beating me up. Now. Somebody, somebody can put something on social media, and I've got, you know, I've got uh, a, a whole bunch of, a bunch of people. Probably many of them I don't know, shaming me and making me feel even worse. Mm-hmm. And I think we that is first thing we need to do is reduce that. Then we can start talking about how we deal with the problem that's always been there. Yeah, well, with social media, uh, like you, would, uh, we were talking about guns before. Um, you don't have give these, kids guns, by the way, these, <laughs> right? But they have these, you know, kids posting. Uh, uh, you know, I'm going to go to the school and I'm, you know, shoot, I have my new AR-15 and I'm going to do this. And Facebook and these social media companies are not reporting this or stopping this somehow. Um, and look what happened. Because uh, have you noticed that all of these uh, mass shootings, they, they always did a post before that? Like A lot of uh, them have. A lot and, of them have. And I, th- I think the problem is some people do it and don't. And so how do you know the difference? That's... But well, right, but you can get rid of the, you can you can nip the um, nip it in the bud for those kids who do do it, and and for the other kids who are being cyber bullied, bullied that could be another way of stopping that by having maybe Facebook or, or the law or somebody you know not come knock on your door, maybe and say you know what you you can't be doing that you know this is one more time you get a warning you can't mm-hmm. do that it's not freedom of speech to be harassing people I no guess. it's not it's not and it, yeah. again it's you you what's what's when does your brain develop enough that you can a use social media um responsibly and b have a gun mm-hmm. you know and i i would say they're probably closely tied yeah so before we close out the show, Mike, by the way, you were amazing. I just, you know, I just loved having you. We have to do this again. I mean, we both live in Egan. so We, we do. We're just uh, literally a few miles from each other. You're a hop, skip, and a jump from my house, aren't you? Uh, I haven't hop, skipped, and jumped but in a while, <laughs> but it is a short drive. Yeah. Uh, before we close the show, is there anything that I didn't mention that you would like to talk about and also promote, again, promote the movie uh, I, I, I one more time? I will plug the movie one more time because okay. this was a labor of love it's a labor of a lot of people and it's uh it's please come because if you were involved in the movement if you have benefited from the movement if you are curious about what happened you you will have a great remembrance you will meet people who were involved uh you know who are on the screen who are probably also going to come to the movie it's going to be a great conversation about what should happen next what do we need to do a lot of what we talked about here you know um it that's that's all part of this, and I'd love to see you there. I will be there as well. I'm I'm going out of town for a conference, but I'm flying back in so we can I can be here for the movie and uh, and show it. And it, I love when people get to see what I do because when you do media and television, you send it out to an audience and you never get to hear the reaction. You know, now on Facebook you get to see the the likes and the comments, but mm-hmm. when you there's nothing like having a live audience applaud, laugh cry hopefully all at the right spots uh at something you work so hard on and I, i'd like everybody to have the opportunity to do that yeah and, and and again on behalf of the lgbtq plus community thank you for 
this movie. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, I haven't seen it, but from what I'm hearing, I've, I actually have spoken to people who have seen it. So they're like, Philip, get on the ball. You know, you have yeah. to. You have you to buy a ticket, book. 10 bucks, June 7th, 7 p.m. Or, uh, if you're hearing this after the, that has happened, uh, it is available on IndieFlix, so you can get it online. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I think it's a great investment of your time. So yeah, please come on. One more time, though. Can you give the, uh, the audience uh, the, web, the website okay. where, uh, where they can buy the tickets and the name of the theater again and all that information? Okay, mspfilm.org is where the Minneapolis Film uh, Society has their site. And just hit the, the tickets button and you'll be able to find it. Uh, you can also go to howloveone.com. It will get you over there as well. That's the name of the movie. 7 o'clock, June 7th, uh, at the Main Theater, formerly known as the St. Anthony Main, uh, right downtown Minneapolis on the on the river. And you can probably have a wonderful meal at one of the restaurants before or after. Mm-hmm. So, it, sounds like a, it sounds like a great evening it should to be. me. Yeah. It's- and unfortunately, Mike, we've come to the end of the show. I am I'm so glad that you you. Sp- you know, take took the time to come and spend some time with my audience and with me. It's wonderful to meet you. Um, and again, I, I I I remember listening to your show, and I just couldn't put the name match the name, and and now I'm meeting a celebrity. So I. I, 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 I <laughs> I, I, as I tell Lori, I'm a micro celebrity. I'm intensely famous with a very small number of people. But you know, it's it's wonderful to, to be thought of that way. Well, well, you're, you're you're good at what you do. Let's just put it that way. And I remember, you, you know, loving your show and um, and thank you again for this movie. I mean, I just can't thank you enough. It's wonderful. And to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us today on the uh, Downright Upright show. Please stay tuned for more episodes in the future. Remember, this is Pride Month in June, so we're going to be doing. All of our guests are going to be speaking about um, uh, LGBTQ plus issues and um, things that they'd like to tell and talk about um, to you. So please stay tuned. And this is Philip Anthony, your host, saying ciao for now. Mm-hmm.